0: Matthew chapter five. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five today. We are continuing in this sermon on the Mount, And last week was an introduction that I think went a little long, and I apologize for that. Um, but there's so much here in this sermon. We're going to be unpacking the Sermon on the Mount for the next probably the rest of this year, it seems like, maybe end of the fall for sure. But the Beatitudes is how the sermon from Jesus here on this mountain begins. Let us stand and read God's word together, and let us read all of these Beatitudes together. But we're going to focus on chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit today. But let us read the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he addresses a multiple crowd. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And these words of your son Jesus Christ remind us that there is a kingdom that we long for, that, Lord, you are bringing and establishing even now. So I pray, God, that you would cause us to see what this kingdom looks like, that you would cause us to see the contrast between the kingdom of man versus the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom of the earth is fallen and broken, yet your kingdom, your kingdom of heaven, is glorious and beautiful. Cause us to see, Father, exactly what this looks like. Today, as we look at, the poor in the spirit, Father, cause us to see what that means. If we are poor in spirit, perhaps we will catch a glimpse of your kingdom. Teach us, Father. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. I don't know about you, but I don't like being poor. Y'all like being poor. I like a job, don't you all like a job, right? Some kind of a steady income coming through. doesn't mean that you have to be wealthy and rich, but there's something about having a little bit of change in your pocket, right? As we're raising our two boys and trying to teach them a work ethic, there came a point where they they woke up and realized one day that they enjoyed having some money in their pocket to spend. All children go through that, right? You go to the store and, wow, I've got something to buy this toy with. There is some kind of... That's a good thing to instill a work ethic within us, isn't it? But when we look here at what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, we have to ask ourselves this first list, this list of Beatitudes, the nine nine characteristics or attributes of the kingdom of heaven is what Jesus is beginning his sermon about. Here is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He says here in verse 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and the very first words from Jesus are, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's not forget that this Sermon on the Mount, the theme of this is that Jesus is introducing to the crowds exactly what the kingdom of heaven is, what it looks like, because they were longing for the kingdom. If uh, There was something about Jesus that many, many people were drawn to. We see this in the Scriptures clearly. And Jesus didn't, like, advertise, come hear my sermons. Jesus didn't have a marketing campaign. He did not draw in people through glitz and glamour. The only thing that was attractive of Jesus Christ was the truth that he taught. And you notice here when we read in the Scriptures, great multitudes, vast multitudes. Some scholars will argue you you could say that, It was up in the thousands, and we see evidence of that, the feeding of the 5,000. There were many people hungering for something because they knew that the world they lived in was broken and fallen and needed repair. Can we say amen to that this morning? When we look at our world right now, it seems like everything is collapsing. We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I'll tell you what, back in January, as we looked at a new year of 2020, I was looking forward with hope and excitement. The stock market was going through the roof, right? Employment was up, right? Uh, if you wanted a job, you could walk in and get a job. Wages were on the rise. Can we all say, yeah, the year looked promising, and now, wow. And we look around the world, and we see that it's not just the economy collapsing. It's also our morals, our society. Not just people dying from disease, but dying from sin, where we're We're at war with one another because of racial division. We are at war with one another because of class envy. We are at war with one another because of the stress that even unemployment brings and being cooped up in isolation and and quarantine. This is there's a lot there's there's a lot of things happening that you can't pinpoint and say here is why it's happening. It's all it's a multifaceted concoction, a cocktail of, of of trauma trauma is the best word to describe it right now. We are facing trauma. And as we read Jesus' words here, the Sermon on the Mount, he is speaking words of blessing. He's talking about blessed are. And let's, let me remind you exactly what this means. Some translations, and this is an appropriate translation too, happy are the poor. That's a, that's a valid translation too. Because the term here, the meaning of blessed, means a state of well-being. It means a state of happiness. It means that things are going well. And if you do not have that in your world, you are constantly craving it whether you realize it or not. The sinner who is not saved by the, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who does not have salvation is one whether they realize it or not, they are longing for it. They are longing for a better state of being. Blessed are. The poor in spirit. And Jesus begins his Beatitudes with this very important thing. And it's and in the beginning here in verse 3 of the Beatitudes and then the ending uh, there in verse 10 and 11. Jesus begins and ends with the same concept of the kingdom of heaven belongs to whoever this is, blessed. If we are blessed, then the kingdom of heaven is ours. That God brings the kingdom to us. So blessed are, and the very first point here is blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, Luke's account in Luke chapter 6 verse 20, he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Where Matthew's account here in chapter 5 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now some scholars would look at that and say that there's a contradiction in scripture. That's not what we see here. Let's try to understand why Luke's account defines blessed are you who are poor, and Matthew's account says blessed are the poor in spirit. Matthew clarifies the poverty here. Just because you are materially impoverished does not necessarily mean that you are somehow separated from God. Likewise, just because someone may be materially impoverished, in other words, you don't have money, You don't have wealth, you don't have houses, you don't have cars. That doesn't mean that somehow God is going to lift you up higher than everybody else simply because of your economic status. That's not what we're saying here. Nor does this mean that we are to avoid any kind of economic economic prosperity because that contradicts Scripture too because especially in the book of Proverbs, right? What is the fate of the sloth? If you are slothful, that means that you're lazy. That means that you're not working, (laughs) What comes to the, to the lazy person? Poverty. <laughs> now, this is not a name it and claim it prosperity gospel message. It doesn't mean get out there and earn a lot of money, and if you earn a lot of money, then God will love you. That's not what he's saying here either. What does Jesus mean? There is no contradiction between Luke chapter 6 verse 20 and Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. When Luke speaks about, blessed are you who are poor, He is implying the poor in spirit that Matthew clarifies in his rendition. It's not anything to do with economics. It has everything to do with the condition of our souls. Is your soul impoverished? Every human being can say, yes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is beginning His sermon with is, is acknowledging the spiritual poverty that everyone who is born faces. That's a great way to start a sermon. Isn't it? Don't y'all feel warm and fuzzy now? That you're, that Jesus is now pointing out the obvious. Your soul, your spirit is impoverished. Everyone realizes it. Everyone knows it, but not everyone acknowledges it. And Jesus is bringing out the obvious. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this poverty of spirit here that Jesus is speaking about, I think we have to look at this very specifically. It's not just... It's just not our sinful state that brings us the kingdom of heaven. It is an acknowledgement of our sinful state that brings the kingdom of heaven to us. The idea here of, of the poor is a word in, that the ancient Greeks would use to describe a beggar. Anybody ever dealt with beggars before? Here in our community, we don't necessarily see beggars as much as you would see in other parts of the world. If you've been anywhere, you would see be- beggar. being a beggar can be a profession. And you can do really well sometimes if you're a professional beggar. But at the same time, you're also looked down upon by those that you are begging from. They hate you. If you are someone who has fallen on economic hard times, and you have to go ask for a handout, whether you actually go out of here on the street corner and hold up a sign and tell how uh, hungry you are, or whether you are just going to your friends or people you know and say, listen, I've lost my job, I, I, I can't pay my rent next month. If there is a hint of humility there, you're ashamed to ask for help. Has anybody ever been in that position? You couldn't make your car payment. You couldn't make your rent payment. You couldn't pay your bills. You had no food for groceries. And you had to go with your hand out to somebody, and your pride causes you to cringe. That's the type of poverty that Jesus is speaking about here. The word that is specifically used here for poor in spirit is that same word that would be used to describe a beggar who is cringing hunkered down on the street corner, perhaps with their head down like this, and hand out like, I don't want to ask, but I'm going to lower my head and ask for help anyway. Now, if we compare that image that Jesus is using here with our spiritual condition, how many of us come to God understanding our sin with that attitude of the beggar who is ashamed? Think about your own conversion, before God Almighty. If you are a Christian here this morning, I want you to go back to whenever that point was and just ponder that moment of conversion. Was your attitude before God described this way? I am a poor beggar, and dear Lord, I am ashamed of myself. That's what Jesus is speaking here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's using imagery here of the one who is cowering, not necessarily in fear, but they're cowering in embarrassment and shame. I am ashamed of my soul. I'm ashamed of my condition before you, Father. The broken and contrite heart is what Jesus is speaking about here. So blessed is the broken, if you really want to use that term. Blessed are those who are humble and ashamed of their spiritual sin because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the opening to the wonderful beauty of God's grace and the wonderful beauty of the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. That's what Jesus is beginning here. Now, the imagery here also, Jesus uses the same image in Luke chapter 16 when he speaks about the beggar, um, the, the poor man Lazarus, Who And and the rich man, you remember that story of Lazarus and the rich man? That's the same idea of poverty there. It's just not that this beggar was asking for, for alms from the rich man. He was broken and embarrassed before the rich man to ask. He laid at the gates of the rich man hoping for a handout, some crumbs. That's the attitude that Jesus is speaking about here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is using a material poverty here. He's using an analogy of material poverty to get us to understand the state of our sinful soul, right? So Jesus is not preaching a prosperity gospel here at all. He's clearly using this to instruct us about our spiritual poverty. Now, who is he speaking to in this crowd? We have to look back and remember here in in chapter 4, As Jesus is speaking to great crowds, there were times where he was being attacked by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We see that even in Luke's account. And so Jesus is teaching something to people who have a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. They have a misunderstanding of God's kingdom. They have a misunderstanding of what the kingdom of heaven is. If you follow the Mosaic law, then you will be blessed. If you Cross the I, uh, You dot the I's and, and cross the T's, then you go through the list, then you will be allowed into the kingdom. And Jesus is speaking something here that is clearly contrary to just keeping the law. It's not about keeping the law, it's about looking at the state of your soul. There you will see the kingdom of heaven first. Now let's take a look here at what he speaks about. Look with me to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, um, beginning there at the first of the chapter. We're going to look at just a few uh, passages here. I don't normally flip around the Scriptures, most of you know this, but let's take a look at some passages here to help support exactly what it is Jesus is teaching. Isaiah chapter 66, beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That is who God acknowledges. the Humble, the contrite in spirit who trembles at his word. Flip over with me as well. Uh, to the book of Job, chapter 35. We remember the story of Job, who has suffered great things. Everything that he had was taken from him. He went from great wealth to extreme poverty overnight. And he's crying out to the Lord, trying to figure out what was happening. So Job, chapter 35, Elihu is speaking to Job and condemning Job's pride, beginning in verse 1. And Elihu answered and said, Do you think this to be just? Do you say it is my right before God that you ask, what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your friends with you. Look to the heavens and sea, and behold the clouds which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous... What do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness a son of man. Let's hold right there in verse 8. You remember that that Job was counted as righteous. matter of fact, he cried out to the Lord. That was part of his lament. Dear God, I am righteous. Why is this happening to me? And the Sermon on the Mount is that teaching of what is righteousness. And part of what Job's problem was, even though he was he was favored by God, at the same time in the course of his lament to the Lord, some sin comes out in his heart, and he's crying out to the Lord, "I don't deserve this. I am righteous." And this leads into God really condemning him, beginning uh, in, in verse in chapter thirty-seven and, and following. First, I'm sorry, chapter thirty-eight. The Lord really answers Job we're not going to read that today but if you want to study that just respond just read God's response to Job's claim of righteousness now let's continue in chapter 35 of Job verse 9 now these verses 9 through 13 here i think can be words of our time as we listen to the social justice gospel folks is there are there some oppression is there some oppression in our world sure absolutely not trying to diminish it at all But how do we respond to oppression? How do we respond to injustice? Look here in verse 9. Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. But none says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. How much less when we say that you do not see Him, that the case is before Him, and you are waiting for Him. And now because His anger does not punish, He does not take much note of transgression. Why is it that God, why is God silent to men's cries of injustice? Whether it be their own sin, whether it be their own circumstances, whether it be whatever the, circu- whatever the issue is, it seems like sometimes the cries of lament, the cries of, of injustice kind of fall on deaf ears. Why is that? It's because of man's pride. That's also the very cause of the injustice. It's also the cause of the oppression. It's man's pride. And instead of crying out for my own righteousness and crying out for my own vilification, the words of Elihu to Job is this, that the reason that God does not answer is because these cries of oppression, these cries of sorrow, does not say, where is my God, my maker, who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth, And makes us wiser than the birds of the heaven. I would say this, that in this season of tumult in our world, there will be no resolve. There will be no resolution of our torment. There will be no resolution of our conflict unless the cries of lament that are, that are justified do not cry out, where are you God? If we are looking to ourselves to solve the problem, it'll just get worse. If we look to ourselves to solve the strife, and the conflict, it will just get worse. But if we can unite in one voice, no matter who we are, and cry out, Dear God, where are you? Then nothing will be resolved. Because as long as we're crying out for our own strength and our own power to resolve whatever issues there are, our spirit is not poor. Our spirit, we are elevating ourselves higher than God. I can fix this. I will resolve this. But what we see in Matthew's gospel as Jesus is teaching, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, not blessed are the proud. He does not begin his sermon here, blessed are those who can solve their own problems. He does not say blessed are those who can resolve the social ills of the country. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The only way that we can resolve sin and conflict and oppression and disease and all of these things is to realize we can't solve it and cry out to the Lord, dear God, where are you? That's the only source of restoration and reconciliation between God and man first, and then between us as human beings together. That's the only answer to our problems, to our woes. That's the only answer to the poverty that we see. Not the economic poverty. We're talking about the poverty of the soul. Because Jesus says that the the, the materially poor will always be with you. That's just going to be part of living. We're going to have to take care of one another in the process. God allows economic poverty so that we can love one another and show God's love to others. doesn't mean that we now elevate our pride. Dear God, I am one of your blessed, so I am so proud of how I am serving your kingdom. Because the the, the danger here that what Jesus is speaking about, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, can be that if we are not careful, we can fall into a pharisaical attitude of, I am poor and broken and God, oh, he, He blesses me and look how good I am serving the poor. Do we serve the poor? Yes. Some of you in this room, you may need a little help during this time of economic downturn. We'll help you. We're going to help some other folks in the community. We're going to be doing that. Let's understand what Jesus is speaking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Unless the poverty of our soul is dealt with, there is no hope of us entering the kingdom of heaven. It's just not going to happen. If our pride elevates and comes above God, we are kept from the kingdom. Pride is the greatest barrier then to the kingdom of heaven. It is. I mean, there, I, I, we could go and list tons and tons of Scripture today on the broken heart, the contrite heart, the humble heart. What does it look like? I'll, I'll give you some if you want to jot these down. Psalm 34, Psalm 51, Psalm 131, Galatians 2. But I want us to look at First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. This describes exactly what a humble heart looks like. This is what a poor in spirit soul looks like. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Uh, Say, so formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. who were to believe in Him for eternal life, to the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what a humble heart looks like. That is what a person who is poor in spirit looks like when they see the kingdom of heaven. Now, how does this work in our lives? I think the Scriptures are very clear and warn very boldly and openly to be cautious in our own pride. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not times where we can be proud. Right? How many parents are proud of their babies? Amen? Even when they drive you nuts, you're still proud of them. But then the grandparents' pride of the grandchildren overcomes the proud pride of the parents. Amen? There's nothing wrong with being proud of a job well done if you're at work. There's nothing wrong with pride in a good meal for Thanksgiving or a special occasion. I, We can take pride in this time together. But when pride elevates our well-being above God's truth, then we will not see the kingdom of heaven. Matter of fact, we're not even part of the kingdom of heaven if our pride overwhelms God's grace. So therefore, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount begins. We can't ignore the significance of the, this first opening statement of Jesus here because everything else that follows in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew follow this one point. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven begins with our brokenness and our humility at how impoverished our soul really is. Once we recognize ourselves in relation to the glory of God, we cannot help but be broken. We cannot help but be humbled. When God's Holy Spirit works in our soul and wakes us up to the truth of our sinfulness, and we are responding to that with humility and brokenness. Wow, what a beautiful result. <laughs> How many times have you taken something that was beautiful and broke it so that you could then rebuild it? Has anybody ever done that? You ever had some some uh, family heirloom that broke, but then you had to put it back together with super glue? Here's the thing. We look at that. Well, it's broken. It's not as valuable as it once was before. Here's where I love the uh, attitude of our Christian brothers and sisters in the East. In Asian cultures, they actually view a broken vessel that has been repaired as more beautiful than the original. To the point that when they have a vessel that is broken, a piece of pottery, a, a porcelain, whatever, that is broken, when they repair it, They don't repair it with super glue. They repair it with gold to the point that the repaired vessel is now more beautiful and more valuable than the original. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because God will break us and reveal to us our sin and our spiritual poverty so that He can rebuild us into the men and the women that He wants for His kingdom. And then and only then can we see the kingdom. Then and only then can we even taste the goodness of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? But we but we are too proud to be broken. <laughs> we're too proud to admit our, our poverty. As we close this time, we're going to go into a, a season of um, communion together. We've not had communion now in four months, has it been? I want us to... We always do communion at the first Sunday of the month. Those who are visitors, those who are new. We traditionally do communion the first Sunday of every month. Now, we normally, after that, we'll have a fellowship meal, too. We turn this room into a fellowship meal, uh, into a fellowship hall. Uh, today, we're not going to do that. I think we're going to work on the right timing to start doing that again. But as we enter into this time of communion, I don't think there's a better passage to, to be reminded of. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me read a passage of scripture from the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is how Paul really ad- introduces the value and the significance of the Lord's Supper. Here's what he says 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So when we read these words of Paul, and and the words that are coming are the words that we always cite and, and repeat at this time of communion, we have to remember the context of which Paul is teaching. There was division in the church. There was pride separating them. And when we come to this table, it is a gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a time of remembrance of how impoverished our soul really is, and how much we depend upon God and His grace. If there's division amongst us, we are proud we are too proud we, we are separating ourselves through pride. so at this time, as we are preparing to partake in the Lord's Supper. I want to give some directions on how we're doing this. I have these individualized cups and bread, so it's going to be a little different than what we normally do. Okay, So it may take a little time and a little struggle this 1st I've never used these. I just know I can just imagine peeling off the top of the lid, juice spraying everywhere. I don't know. I'm hoping better than that, but let's see how it goes. As we go into this time of meditation and prayer and as Tim prepares some music, Here are the words of uh, Paul himself to the church. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We must remember that this is a time of meditation and prayer of preparing not only our individual hearts to remember the the sacrifice of our Savior, but this body that Paul is speaking about is more directly the body of the church. If there's division amongst you with anyone, whether it's in this church or in the uh, the universal church as a whole, other churches, we're all one in the body of Christ if we are genuine. If you have division between you and a family member, if you have division between you and a co-worker, if you have division in your heart toward anyone, the words of Paul are very important, that we must reconcile that in order to come to the table. Likewise, if you are someone who you are divided apart from God because you are not poor in spirit and you have not been forgiven of your sin through the blood of Christ. It's also a a caution of grace, that this table is not for you yet. This table is for those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, who have received His mercy, because they understand the poverty of their hearts. They understand the value of the sacrifice. Or we should. So this is a time of meditation and reflection upon your own state before the Lord, but also a time of meditation and gratitude to the Lord for His, for His grace. Because as we partake of this these elements, the bread and the juice, this is an act of worship, of thankfulness, and a remembrance. Please go into an attitude of prayer. Words of the Apostle Paul remind us of what happened on that night that our Lord was betrayed when he broke bread for the first time with his disciples. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this bread and remember the broken body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Please take. Let me pray for us. Father God, you bless us with this gift that you call that we call communion of the Lord's supper. You've given us this ordinance as a gift to remember the sacrifice, to remember the brokenness of our Savior. Not just I mean, his, his physical body was broken for us because our spirit was so broken. Father, I pray that you would remind us of the words of your Son as he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I thank you for the, that gift of truthfulness, that through your Holy Spirit, you tell us and you convict us and you draw us because you show us how broken and impoverished our soul really is. And Lord, I thank you for the gift of the kingdom of heaven that we see as we are forgiven, as we are restored through the blood of your Son. I pray, God, that we as your church would live out exactly at what you desire for us in your kingdom that we would represent your kingdom faithfully and i pray god that you would teach us and help us and guide us in that in that responsibility and that conviction i thank you father for everyone here today i thank you that you have kept us safe i thank you for this privilege to be back in your house again help us be just that little hint of the kingdom As we depart, as we go our separate ways, but as we come back together, let this be your house and let us be your people. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.